Father, again, we do ask that you would come and speak to us from your word, that in this time we would hear from you, that you have promised to come and be our teacher, and so that is what we ask that you would do. Lord, we are a people in need to hear from you. We don't need to hear from me. We don't need the opinions or thoughts or folly of a man. We need a truth of grace from your hand to ours. So bless us, we ask in your son's name. Amen. Care Ministry, Carolyn commented in her testimony that uh, life can be messy, that our lives can be very messy. And I love that word because it's suitably unscientific to try and actually get its arms around uh, the reality that, that life can just be, well, a bit of a mess. In some ways, we have to deal with just the normal stresses and strains of life, be it terrible traffic or the silly cost of living or long hours that we have to work. But we know that we have deeper problems than that. The messiness of sin, our lives are complicated by the destructive decisions that that we ourselves have made and continue to make. That guilt that shame even that you feel over decisions that you have made, the fear that they might be found out. Our sin complicates our lives. But the messiness is compounded not just by our sin, namely those things that we ourselves have done, but also by our our brokenness, the messiness of brokenness, that our lives are complicated by the ways in which other people have sinned against us. And so we have uh, perhaps been uh, children who were neglected, or perhaps a spouse who has been left by the one who was never meant to leave them alone. And this brings complication and difficulty and struggle to our lives. Thirdly, it's not just our, our sin and our brokenness, but we also have to just deal with the general messiness of sorrow. Our, our lives are complicated by, by living in this fallen world, a world where children get cancer, where spouses die, not as the one-to-one result of their own sin or the sin of any one person, but just as a reality of living in this fallen and broken world. Life is messy. My life feels messy. I'm sure your life feels messy as well. And into this messiness, Jesus speaks what I find to be an amazing word, a surprising word almost, because he says to us that the gospel is so powerful. The gospel is, is, is so transformative that even in the midst of your messiness, Christians will be known not for their sin, not for their brokenness, not for their sorrow, but by their love. You see it there in verse 35. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, if you will love one another. In other words, something is to take place within these pews. Something is to take place within these walls. Something is to happen so that we would be identified and characterized and known not for the mess, but for something beautiful, for the love that we have toward one another. And that's his command that he opens with in verse 34. A new command I give you, that you would love one another. Jesus commands us to enter into each other's messiness, into each other's sin, into each other's brokenness, into each other's sorrow, and bring the healing love of the gospel to bear on the messiness of life. In general terms, that's what care ministry is, entering into messiness together, living this life together, applying the gospel to each other, loving 
one another well. Two quick points like we've had for all these series. Let's talk a little bit more about what care is, and then let's talk about how we do it at MPC. With that general understanding of care in place, let's think about what is it more closely and and how is it that we do it at MPC. In general terms, care then is this activity of love where we enter into each other's sorrow and brokenness. But further reflection upon the gospel, upon the essence of of what the gospel is itself, has led us here at MPC to uh, put meat on that general understanding with three important categories, three terms that we would love to be a reality uh, amongst uh, this community. Carolyn mentioned them in her testimony. David mentioned them in his prayer. They're stealing the sermon's thunder, which I love, because we want these things to become part of the vocabulary of who we are. As a church, three things. First of all, we want to have a care that is really marked by authenticity. Authentic care. That the gospel has changed us in such a way that we genuinely want to love our neighbor. We genuinely want to interact with them and uh, love them and care for them and build them up and help them in their sin and their brokenness and their sorrow. We we have a, a genuine, authentic passion to love one another well. Now, this is a problem for us. Why? For at least a couple of reasons. First of all, because if we ourselves find it hard to lift the horizon uh, beyond our own circumstances. Most of us spend most of our time thinking about ourselves and our own problems. Most of us don't take the time to look beyond what's going on with us to see the needs of those that are around us. Secondly, the problem isn't just us, but can we be honest and say the problem is kind of other people too? Um, One of our deacons says, it's just as well the Lord said, this new command I give you that you would love one another and not this new command I give you that you would like one another. The reality is, some people, and it's funny, the some people, they're always over there, right? Some people are hard to love. Some people are hard to love. Some people, when you interact with them, they don't inspire you to love them more. You find it hard to be in relationship with them. You find it hard to love them, let alone love them well. And so we ourselves get caught in quite an insular pattern. And then when we do lift our horizon, we see people that are hard to love. And we're not all that compelled to reach out in authentic care. And this is why Jesus says to us in verse 34, see, see the crux of it for us. As he says, as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. As I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. In other words, it's the gospel that brings this authenticity to us because we recognize how we have been treated by Christ, how we've been treated by Christ. He has loved us sacrificially, giving all things, including his very life upon the cross, in order to love us. And he loves us, and not just sacrificially, but in this sanctifying way. He loves us so that we might be blessed. He doesn't love us so that he'd get something out of it, but he, he loves us so that, so that we might flourish. And this pattern of gospel love, recognizing how we have been loved by him, draws us out of ourselves, causes us to look to the horizon. And then when we see people who are difficult to love, we remember that no one is more difficult to love than me. No one is more difficult to love than me. And Christ didn't stop because of it. Christ pushed into that, offering sacrificial, sanctifying love. And when we reflect on that, when we meditate on that, when we dwell on how we have been loved by Christ, it naturally causes us to lift our horizons and love other people. 
That's to be the mark of our care. We're not commanded here, look, you have to look after each other because it's the right thing to do. You're not commanded, look, you have to just do the right thing in order that you know, you'll be seen to be a kind community. He's saying, no, have, have an authentic care. Have a care that reflects upon my love and therefore naturally loves other people. We want to be a congregation of love. We want to be a congregation of authentic care. Second thing that we want to be is not just a, an authentic, uh, not, not just have authentic care, but also have, have care that's, that's marked with the quality of vulnerability. Quality of vulnerability. Now, what am I talking about here? We're saying that very essence, the gospel enables us to be real and honest about the things that we're struggling with. It's, it's actually essential to becoming a Christian that you would acknowledge that you don't have everything together. To become a Christian, you have to say, I recognize my sin. I recognize I'm in need of a savior. I recognize I've not lived the perfect life. I recognize I've lived far from that. I recognize that I'm a mess and I recognize that I need grace. I recognize that not only have I made a mess of my life, but there's nothing I can do to fix it. I need someone from without to come in and save me. The gospel in itself frees us to be real and honest about ourselves. And in order for this authentic care to take place within our congregation, there also has to be this aspect of vulnerability, where we are able and willing to open up to each other and let each other know, yeah, I'm actually struggling with this. I'm actually having a hard time in this area. I could actually do with some care in, in this aspect. The importance of vulnerability was very personally brought home to my life, um, just as a, as a teenager, actually. I've shared from this pulpit before about uh, being sexually abused by a high school teacher in my teenage years. A very confusing and uncertain time in my life. And I responded, as, as many people do in these situations, which was by telling who? No one. Telling no one. By keeping this to myself and trying to process through the details of what had taken place. Mercifully, the Lord sent another teenager uh, by the name of Rosie and uh, opened up to her one time, sort of out of the blue, and she responded uh, with grace from the Lord, wisdom beyond her years. First of all, by not being too shocked and not being too, certainly not by being uh, put off in any way. You know, that moment of disclosure is a very significant one for people who have been abused. And so uh, little did she know it, but she responded perfectly. And then secondly, uh, by encouraging me to go and talk to people about it who could actually help. Now, it's amazing. The healing that took place in that first week from telling someone is just so far outstripped any supposed healing that had taken place in the year since it had happened. My ability to bring healing to my own soul was very limited. Very limited. And so I was taught that it's only as you are able to open up, be vulnerable, reveal, show people where you need help, that that they're able to know where to apply grace and help you. That vulnerability is an essential aspect of care, and people cannot care for you authentically if, if you don't let them know how. And again, I wonder just how we're doing uh, with this area of vulnerability as a congregation, because if ever there was a place where, you know, we have our stuff together, um, it's, it's D.C. It's D.C. We are um, often uh, a proud, arrogant group of wannabes 
who find it very hard to acknowledge that we need help. Help uh, in our profession, help in our relationships, help in any sphere. We want to act like we've, we've got it together. And so the gospel calls us to remember the gospel. <laughs> it says, no, remember, you became a Christian by realizing you don't have it all together. And you're going to grow as a Christian to the extent that you continue to realize that you don't have it all together. And people are able to pour grace into those areas that you need it most. We want to be an authentic congregation, but we want to be a vulnerable congregation as well. Third area we'd reflect upon to put meat on this idea of care is that we want to be a tenacious congregation. We want to be a tenacious congregation. I love that word. I love this concept that um, we we are in this mess together and we are committed to each other. And we are going to do what it takes in order to love one another well, even when we're not exactly sure what it will take. We are committed to this process. Again, this is very much an emphasis that comes to us from the nature of the gospel itself. Nowhere more powerfully illustrated for me than in Luke chapter 15, where we get the story of the 99 and the 1. How does Jesus love his people? Is he satisfied that he has 99? No, he is dissatisfied that he does not have the one. And so he moves out in tenacious love and he takes that lonely journey through cold and hunger and uh, does what it takes, does whatever is necessary in order to find the one and bring him home. In order to find you and I and bring us home. See the, the, the tenacity of Christ stopping not even at the cross in order that he might be in relationship with us. And so as a people, we want to have that similar determination, that similar perseverance, that similar dogged spirit. You know, people sometimes say, um, you know, you guys have been bringing my family meals for six months. You must be getting tired of us. Yeah? And I want to say, No! We're not getting tired of you. In fact, we're just beginning, right? We have many more meals and much more enthusiasm for this task. And you just see if you can drain our resources for care, right? (laughs) I challenge you, right? Um, Or another thing people will do, and I understand the heart behind this, but give me, indulge me and let me say it drives me crazy, right? When people say, "Uh, well, I would have come and seen you, but I know you're busy. And I feel like saying, what is it you think I'm here for? You know, like to be pastor at this church? Like, you know, what do you think I'm meant to be busy doing other than spending time with the flock? That's what, it's the job description. That's what we're here to do. We're here to love the flock. Not just from me, but from our staff and our, our, our leadership. We want to have this tenacity that then becomes a reality, not just from staff and leadership, but from our pews as well. That we will be a place that is committed to doing whatever it takes to love one another well, just as Christ was committed to do whatever it took to love us so well. So that's the idea then of care. When we talk about care, what are we talking about? We're talking about entering into the messiness of life, the sin and the brokenness and the sorrow, and and applying the gospel to each other in an atmosphere and context that is authentic and, and vulnerable and tenacious. That's what it means to care for one another. How do we do this at MPC? Two quick categories, and then I'll close. First of all, we have all sorts of ministry that are designed to care for each other in, in a proactive way. We recognize that um, 
the best thing we can do is sort of preventative maintenance. And so we have designed our church in such a way that we will have opportunities and access to proactive care. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about small groups. I'm talking about the opportunity to live your life alongside, shoulder to shoulder with other believers who know what's going on in your life and you know what's going on in their lives and you're authentic and you're vulnerable and you're tenacious together. And care just happens because that's what happens when you live life with someone. It's not that you necessarily think Tuesday night, 7 o'clock is care time. It's that you build relationships that enable you to care for one another throughout the ups and downs of life. We have proactive care in our community ministries also, in our Sunday school classes, our children, student, harvest, men's ministry, women's ministry, whereby we're just knitting our lives together with those that are in this flock so that it's natural for us to reach out to one another when someone is struggling. It's natural for us to make that call when we hear someone has lost a parent. It's natural for us to, to bring that meal when we know that there's a need. We're just living in community together in this proactive, beautiful way. And that's really the, the, the intended pattern, that this flock would love itself so well that it would be known for its love. And so the only application or, or takeaway from this proactive care that I would have for you is just to encourage you to make, self, make sure that you're putting yourself in a context of care. In a church like ours, it's very important that you take responsibility to make sure that you are in a context of care. Why? Because on Sunday morning, um, I won't notice if you're not here on any one Sunday. And I just, I'm sorry that I won't. Um, but, but I won't. Um, a church this size, we need to be caring for each other well. We need to be putting ourselves in a context of, of congregational care where we love one another. And the Bible has, has laid out for us to do. So we have um, proactive care. And secondly, we also have reactive care. Because we recognize that no matter how involved you are in some sort of proactive care, uh, life happens. Curveballs come, tragedy strikes, and needs arise. And so we want to have things like our care team to bring meals and provide rides and be a, an encouraging presence. We want to have things like our counseling ministries through our lay counselors and our staff and our pastors who are able to come alongside people who are struggling with things that you know your, your, your normal home group might not feel equipped to help with, issues of anxiety or depression or marital unfaithfulness, these sorts of things. We, we want to have an avenue and an area for people to come when they have these kinds of troubles. We have our support groups, which are very related for premarital counseling or divorce care or grief share. People who are going through a particular season in life where they need a particular kind of help, a particular aspect of gospel application. We have these uh, means available to us so that if you're struggling with something, uh, the church is ready and able to come alongside you and help. Two quick applications on that, first of all. Is there something in your life that you need help with? Is there something in your life that you need help with? Is there an ongoing struggle? Is there a secret shame? Is there um, a situation like I had with the abuse those years ago that, that you want help with, but you haven't known where to turn? But today you know where to turn. The Lord has placed you in community 
and designed you to live in community so that you would have people in this place to come alongside you and help. MPC is a safe place to come with your sin and your brokenness and your sorrow. So come, come talk to us. Let us help. Secondly, do you have, in order to be this place that provides a lot of care, we need to be a place that has lots of carers. Um, and typically, you, you know you're always both, okay? You, you don't graduate to carer and are beyond the need of care, right? But we do need people to step up and say, yeah, I want to make meals. Um, and as you look through the flock notes, see the names that are in italics and email them to, to, to tell them how you'd like to help. Uh, we need people to step up and say, yeah, you know, I feel the Lord might have gifted me in this area of counseling. Uh, I feel the Lord might be calling me to, to play a greater role in the care ministry of this church. If you have a heart for that, then irrespective of what the men are serving downstairs, I'd encourage you to go to the care meeting lunch <laughs> after uh, our congregational meeting and find out how you how yourself can get more plugged in and connected. Closing thought. One of the sweetest promises to me in all of Scripture is Revelation 21, verse 4, where we read that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The day is coming. You know the day is coming when children won't get cancer. The day is coming when teenagers won't be abused. The day is coming when death will be no more. The day is coming where all your sin and all your brokenness and all the sorrow of this world will no longer wreak havoc upon your soul. The day is coming when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And yet, the beauty of the gospel is that that future reality has become present. As Jesus commands us to love one another, He is commanding us to wipe away the tear from each other's eyes. And in so doing, see that glimpse of heaven on earth. If someone were to follow our congregation this week, uh, film all our interactions, I wonder what they'd conclude. Would they know from the way that we've treated each other that we are his disciples? Would the way we love each other drive us to the love that he has set upon us? I think that they would, and I pray that it will be so all the more. Let's pray together. Father, we are glad once again for the grace of the gospel, for how you have loved us, and that is really the the beginning and the end. The grace you have poured out upon a people who were far from easy to love is astonishing. And Lord, we thank you that the gospel is not just a thing that saves us, but it is a thing that um, orients our lives now. And we thank you for placing us in, in this place called the church and commanding the church to love each other, to love one another well, to be in the mess of life. Lord, I pray that you would Enable us to be a flock that truly is characterized by an authentic, vulnerable, tenacious care. Not focusing upon the activities and the programs as ends in themselves, but seeing them as the means by which the love of Christ might be known more and more in our hearts. Father, we thank you for this glimpse of heaven and earth, for the privilege of drying each other's tears, and ask that we would do it well to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.